too many times we start talking about what I can't face or what I can't do or what I can't handle. Listen, it's a lie. You can handle whatever is put in front of you, whether you're, whether you're low, whether you're high, whether you're rich, whether you're poor. It may be difficult. It may be hard. There may be weeping for a night. I, I don't know, but you can do all things through Christ. You can face any circumstance. You can face any obstacle. You can overcome every situation. You don't have to lose not one time. Have you ever thought about how faith grows? When circumstances become challenging, what choices do we make? And how do those choices affect our faith? If on the other hand, nothing ever challenges our faith, then how will we grow as Christians? We must remember that as Christians, we are part of God's team a winning team. In today's message, Pastor Eddie Mason lays out the keys to growing our faith by living life as an overcomer. I want to talk to you about this morning about living life as an overcomer. Last week, I talked about one of the greatest obstacles to our faith or one of the greatest dangers to our faith is our tongue. How many of you remember what I talked about? How many of you realize that you can speak in such a way that you can kill yourself? The Bible says, yes, they owe me. The Bible says there's power of life and death in the tongue. And of course, one of the things I want you to know, I really want to cheer you up. There's always going to be obstacles to your faith. There's, it's going to come through circumstances. It's going to come through family. It's going to come through friends. It's going to come through work. It's going to come from all different directions. And from time to time, it's going to challenge your faith and your faithfulness. And sometimes it's going to come from all those directions at one time. Amen. Somebody, anybody in here ever had any challenges from any of those areas besides me? Amen. It, it gets challenging, and, and we, have to, we have to remain faithful in the midst of that. And that's what it means to overcome. You know, the good news is the Bible says that we are born of God, and because we're born of God, we are overcomers. The bad news is there's something to overcome. All right, there's some things that we just have to overcome. And so we, we have to realize that. And some of these times we don't do so good. And some of these times when we're called to over, uh, overcome, instead of overcoming, we get overwhelmed. Anybody in here ever been overwhelmed? Anybody in here ever, ever been temporarily, like that word, temporarily defeated? Amen? You know how I know you're not completely defeated? Because you're here this morning. If you weren't here this morning, they might could do this other. But sometimes we go through temporary defeats, don't we? And it's in these temporary defeats that we have to gather ourselves. You see, it's in the midst of conflict that faith grows. Let me say that one more time. It is in the midst of conflict that faith grows. If there's nothing challenging your faith, you will never grow in your faith. Uh, I, I saw Leanne here. Leanne, how you build those muscles? She don't know. She, <laughs> you know, you lift weights, don't you? There has to be resistance to any muscle in the body in order to cause that muscle to grow stronger. It requires resistance. Sometimes that's running. Sometimes that's walking. For me, it's getting up in the morning. And, and this is my favorite exercise right here. It goes, you know, I do this arm. And if this arm gets tired, I turn around and I do this arm. 
Uh, some of you know you do that too, because you like to eat just as much as I do. And if you could lose weight eating, I'd be skinny as a rail. But anyway, but so, so it takes resistance. We have this place of conflict in our lives, and it's in this place of resistance and conflict that faith begins to grow. But it also begins to grow with a choice and a decision. And the decision is, am I willing to meet the challenge that's in front of me, or do I succumb to what's happening and just quit? It's hard sometimes not to just want to quit. It's either we trust in God or we crumble. It's a pretty simple place to be. But I want you to know it doesn't matter whether you crumble in your faith or not. Our God remains faithful to us. Come on, give God praise, would you? Give God praise. Let me read the Scripture, 2 Timothy 2.11. The saying is trustworthy, for if we have died with Him, we will also live with Him. If we endure, we will also reign with Him. If we deny Him, He also will deny us. But if we are faithless, He remains faithful. He cannot deny Himself. Our God remains faithful. Turn to your neighbor and say, that's good news. Amen. Because, because we were born to Him. It's important that we need to do that. And so what we want though is we want to have this desire to live a faithful life. Anybody here have a desire to live a faithful life? Amen. Anybody in here want to be a champion? Can I tell you it's not as important to be a champion on the football field as it is to be in life itself. That's a wonderful thing, but that's entertainment. And what we live from day to day is real life. It's real life. Entertainment is wonderful and it's great, but we're not here to be entertained by God. We're here to be, to be drawn near to Him. We're here to, to walk in that place. As I, as I shared with you last week, it's what comes out of our mouth that becomes one of the greatest enemies of our faith. With our mouth, we either declare our confidence in our God or we succumb to the fear of frustration and enter into defeat. You know, any of you ever get mad and just say, oh shoot, and that slang cussing, you know that. Oh, don't look at me so holy. Y'all are like, I never said a cuss word in my life. But just remember this, liars go to hell. That's all I'm going to tell you, all right? Sometimes we just can't stand it, can we? You know, one of the interesting things that happened to me when I got saved was I had gotten in the habit of using a lot of different cuss words. And, and in using those cuss words, it became part of my everyday language. Anybody ever have that problem besides me? And when God, when God saved me, my language immediately cleared up. That wasn't a, a mental decision. It was something that automatically happened. And I remember it was probably, it was probably two or three months before I said a cuss word. And in my car, every time I made a left-hand turn, my car would stop. And so, you know, I couldn't figure it out. I'd taken it to the dealership. I'd taken it all over to get it fixed. And nobody could figure out what was going on. But every time I'd make a left turn, and I was running late one night, and I was making left turns, and it was turning off, and I was cranking it, and it'd turn off, and I'd crank it, and it'd turn off, and it'd crank. And finally, I just got mad and said a cuss word and hit the steering wheel. And when I did, all of a sudden, I realized what I did. I broke down crying and saying, oh, God, oh, God, don't let that come back in my life. And, and it didn't. God forgave me. And it didn't come back in my life like that. But, but it was one of those things that where I, I temporarily submitted to the frustration that was in my life. And we have a tendency to do that. 
If you've got anger problems, that's part of the problem is you're succumbing to circumstances and you're not submitting to the Lord. Say amen, amen. or oh me, one of the two. All right, so that's what happens to us. And so we have to, we have to choose, are we going to do what God said do, or are we going to do what our flesh declares to do? One of the other things that happens is we declare defeat before we ever start. This is not going to work. And if you don't declare defeat, somebody else will declare it for you. I have people all the time around me saying, that won't work, that won't work, that won't work. As a matter of fact, Brick and I got to doing that to Daddy one time at work. And Daddy finally he came to the frustration, stomped his foot. He said, I don't want to hear that garbage anymore. I don't want to hear that won't work. Either come to me and tell me something will work or shut your mouth. <laughs> Amen. You know something? There's real truth in that. You're not helping somebody by telling them, that won't work, that won't work, that won't work, that won't work. If you have an idea, tell them. But if you don't, just keep your mouth shut. Why? Because you're just spitting out death. You're just killing what they're trying to do. I never will forget I had Malachi over, over one day and we were going, I was going to show him how to do a little something on the guitar and, and he couldn't get it mashed down and he would look at me and he said, I can't do it. I said, yes, you can, Malachi. He said, no, I can't do it. I said, come over here and try it. He said, no. He said, I tried. It didn't work. I said, well, let's try again. Let me show you how. He said, no, it won't work. I said, Malachi, come here. Now, he's not about three or four years old. I said, come here. Let's try. And he just teared up. He said, I can't do it. I can't do it. I can't do it. Unfortunately, too many adult Christians do the same thing. They try once and they fail and they refuse to ever try again. Some of us are so easily defeated, all the enemy has to do is threaten us and we back away from what's going on. And so if you're going to be an overcomer, you've got to learn not to back away. You've got to begin to learn what God says. We've got to quit saying, I can't do it. And you've got to turn around and, and, and confess what God's Word says. Let somebody get offended and they won't talk to somebody for a year. Turn to your neighbor and say, that's walking in failure for a year. Mm. We hold on to unforgiveness and we make this statement, I can't forgive. Which means I am going to submit my life to the enemy and not to the power of the Holy Spirit. Aren't you glad you came this morning? You see, we don't think much of that. No, I'm not doing that. Well, that's because we want to be part-time Christians. We think we can live in two worlds. We think we can live in a natural world, and we think we can live in a spiritual world, and that that's in the natural doesn't affect that that's in the spiritual. Now, sometimes we believe that that that's in the spiritual affects the natural, but even then we have our doubts many, many times. And so we, we get in agreement with the enemy more times than you can imagine. And we don't want to be getting in agreement with the enemy. We want to get into agreement with what God is saying. We want to say what God says. And if we, if we go on and read in Philippians 4, what does he say? I know how to be brought low. This is what Paul said. I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. Turn to your neighbor and say, every circumstance. How many of y'all think that means? 
That means every circumstance. I have learned the secret. Woo! Turn to your neighbor and say, there's a secret. I've learned the secret. That means he didn't get born again automatically know how to walk in the victory and ability to overcome. But he learned, and he learned the secret. How do you think he learned that secret? He learned that secret in his prayer closet, and he learned that secret by walking through circumstances, and he learned it because he realized that pitching a flesh fit didn't solve any problems. I think Paul pitched a lot of flesh fits. And I think he finally realized that wasn't the answer. He learned the secret. And what was the secret? He said, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hungry, abundance or need. In other words, no matter what the circumstance is, he said, I've learned the secret. And this is the secret. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and say, I can do all things through Christ. I can do all things. Boy, it makes a great logo. We put them on t-shirts. But when we're in the middle of the circumstance or in the middle of the battle, how many times do we sit down and realize what he's saying? I can do this. I can do this. I remember way back, Herman was a little boy. And he'd gone in the hospital. And uh, he had strep throat. And when they cut him to remove his tonsils, they infected him with strep. And the infection was going to his heart. Fear came all over me. I had lost a little brother at six years old from lymphoma cancer. And all I could see was my baby dying. Sue stayed in the hospital 21 days. He plugged up with all these little needles and intravenous things. And me, I'm, I'm helpless. Matter of fact, I went to the doctor, and me and the doctor, the doctor and I almost got into a fight. I said, I want a second opinion. He informed me he was the smartest doctor in the world. He really did say that between him and Gladstone, they were the smartest two doctors in the area. And then he said, now we've con we've con we have already consulted with the University of Alabama. I should have known then they didn't know what they were talking about, right? I'm sorry William wasn't here to hear that one. Amen. <laughs> anyway, he did let me know that they were, they were pursuing other avenues and they sent out test results. And my daddy and Don Pye came up to the hospital. They laid hands on my son and prayed for him. And the next day he went home. Amen. Amen. In the midst of that, I can remember thinking, I can't go through this. I can't go through this. I can't watch my son die. I can't. I can't. I can't. And so rather than having the comfort of the Holy Spirit, at 23, 24 years old, I am walking in torment while I'm watching what's happening to my son. I had not learned the secret that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I didn't realize that I could do that. Too many times we start talking about what I can't face or what I can't do or what I can't handle. Listen, it's a lie. You can handle whatever is put in front of you, whether you're, whether you're low, whether you're high, whether you're rich, whether you're poor. It may be difficult. It may be hard. There may be weeping for a night. I, I don't know, but you can do all things through Christ.
Amen. You can face any circumstance. You can face any obstacle. You can overcome every situation. You don't have to lose not one time. So, I don't want to get, I don't want to give up. But I want you to know it's not only important that we change our speech, we got to change the way we think. And so our speech should reflect our heart, but it should also reflect our thoughts. How many of you know there's some people been doing some stinking thinking? There's some wrong thoughts, and we grab hold of those thoughts. You know, my thought when Herman was in the hospital was, what if he dies? What if he dies? What if he dies? What if he dies? Now, y'all don't get too upset with me. Okay, instead of declaring, he's going to live, he's going to live, he's going to live, he's going to live. Which one of those do you think brought me more peace? He's going to live or, or he's going to die? You know, when we begin to declare life instead of death, we begin to see the difference in what happens. And so, if we can understand that our thoughts which are coming out of our mouth will declare life and death, all of a sudden I want to change the way I'm thinking. I want to quit thinking like the world thinks. I don't care what a doctor says. The only good a doctor is for me is to declare what I need to pray for. He can tell me what to pray for. He can be very specific in what to pray for. Well, Eddie, do you ever get treatment from a doctor? Sure I do. And prayer works. The doctor can give me a shot, but prayer works. A doctor can't heal me. Only my God can heal me. And so I want to grab hold of what God has said. Look what he says in 2 Corinthians 10.5. We destroy. Turn to your neighbor and say, I destroy. Say it again. I destroy. We keep waiting for God to change our mind, and God's waiting for you to change your mind. See, if we change our mind, God will change our heart. If we will think like God tells us to think, our heart will line up with his way of thinking. As long as we think like the world, our heart will be tied to the world. Am well, I making sense to you? Look what he says. We destroy every law, every, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive to obey Christ. What does that mean? That means when the doctor says you're going to die, you say, no, I'm not. I'm going to live. My daddy had, uh, had uh, I think it was carbon tetrachloride poisoning. Isn't that what it was? Caused liver failure. And it came because he was cleaning a, a he was using a chemical to clean a sofa with. And every day this doctor would walk in there. And daddy said he looked like a mortician. And said he'd walk in there, and every time he'd walk in there, said a little thin guy in a black suit, and he'd say, Irma, you're going to die. And Dad would say, get out of here, I'm not going to die. He wasn't even a Christian at this point in time. I ain't going to die. Herman, you're going to die. And the next day he'd come in and say, Herman, you're going to die. And the next day he'd come in and say, Herman, you're going to die. And the next day he came in and said, Herman, you're going to die. You know what my daddy told me about that? He said, I lived in spite of that guy. He said, I decided he wasn't going to be right. He wasn't having no predictate in my life. Amen? Daddy was thinking like God before he even knew God. Come on. Oh, come on. Come on, give God praise. Daddy goes to the doctor. Daddy goes to the doctor. The doctor, this is personal information, so just keep it amongst several hundred of us. He goes to the doctor, and the doctor says, uh, you got prostate cancer. 
Dad said, okay, you mind I get a second opinion? He said, no, get a second opinion. He goes to a second urologist. Second urologist comes in and says, Mr. Mason, you got cancer. My dad said, you mind if I get another opinion? He goes to a third doctor, and the third doctor says, Mr. Mason, we, we find some hardness down there. He said, what I'm going to do is I'm going to treat it with super antibiotics, and you're not going to be able to get out in the sun and do several things. And he goes, and he goes, and he goes. When he gets to the end, Daddy said, what about the cancer? And the doctor says, what cancer? Daddy looks at him and says, you can be my doctor. <laughs> Amen. I love it. I love it. You may be a doctor, but you're not going to tell me until I find a doctor that's in agreement with the Word of God. I'm not going to, I'm not standing with you. I'm going to stand where God tells me to stand. And so we need to, to do what He says do. And part, of, part of what He does, He says, God said, if we're going to change the way we think, we've got to put on the helmet of salvation. How many of you have to put on the helmet of salvation? You know something? I put on this hat right here. Notice God didn't put that on me. He didn't supernaturally, levitate it and put it on my head. I picked it up off the table and I put it on my head even if it doesn't fit. I put it on my head and I'm wearing it. Why? Because I picked it up and put it on my head. Well if you don't pick up the helmet of salvation and put it on your head you're not even going to acknowledge it's there unless you sleep in your hat. How many of y'all sleep in your hats? How many of you sleep in a helmet? I, I will tell you this. Josh one night when he was a little baby we found him and he had crawled under a TV. You remember those little wire TV stands and had a, a magazine shelf under there? He had fallen asleep. He had crawled under there and he had a football helmet on. And so we had to take him out. But for most people, we take off our clothing. We take off many, many things when we go to bed. And most of the time when we go to bed, we don't even think about what we're doing in a spiritual sense except we say our prayers. We go down and we ask God to look after us and protect us. But we don't have on that helmet of salvation that changes how we think. It also protects us from what other people say. If that helmet isn't covering your ears, you need to get a new helmet. You hearing what I'm telling you? Too many of us are affected by what people say and rather than what God says. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and say, God said you're special. Now, how many of you really believe that? Amen. A few of you. Amen. Praise God. We need to grab hold of that idea when God says I'm special. We got to say what God says, not what we think. We take hold of that. We put it on. Living life as an overcomer demands that we dress for the job. If we went to the job, like most of us do with a spiritual, we'd go slap naked. How many of you get up in the morning and you get dressed? I ain't coming to the rest of y'all's houses then. Just give me a warning. A bunch of naked people are walking around. You get dressed, don't you? How many of you didn't think about what you're going to wear? By first, I have to go to the closet and see what's clean first, and then I make a decision on what I'm going to wear second. But, you know, I, I have to go and I have to look. I have to figure out what pair of shoes I'm going to wear. I want to know if they're cute with my outfit or not, you know, that type thing. 
I got to understand what's going on. And so I'm going to pick out my, my, uh, my, what I'm going to wear for the day depending on what I'm going to do that day. Let me tell you the reason I'm saying that is most of us spend more time putting on our clothes than we do putting on Christ. Paul gives us that directive in two, two, directive in two different occasions. He tells us to put on Christ. That means, he says in Romans 13, 13, let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. How many of y'all put that on in the morning? What's the first thing you think about when you get up in the morning? Is it coffee? Bacon and eggs? Grits? Cereal? You can't, I can't tell you how many people I've, I've gone to and they said, don't talk to me until I've had my first cup of coffee. Wouldn't it be a whole lot better until they said, don't talk to me until I've spent 15 minutes with Jesus. Then I'll be worth talking to. We spend more time doing things that have little influence over our life, more than we do putting on Christ Jesus. He says, don't put, he says, make no provision. Turn to your neighbor and say, no provision for the flesh. Well, that's a tough one right there. No provision for the flesh. Now, let's be real honest. How many of us make provision for the flesh? Not only do we use, make provision for the flesh, we use the excuse of just being human so that we can get away with things. In other words, God knew when he put me in this flesh that I was going to satisfy the demands of the flesh. And so, in essence, we blame God for putting us in the frailty of human desire. Am I making sense to you? Y'all getting awfully quiet. If you want to be an overcomer, the Bible says... People ought to be able to recognize what you've got on. How many of you think tomorrow, if you put on a, a suit of armor and walked outside, people would notice? I think they would too. Many of them would look at you like you're half crazy. Can I tell you the truth? If you put on Christ, people are going to notice. There's something that's outwardly different from an internal position that says, I'm different than the rest of the world. I'm not going to treat you like the world treats you. Because when you engage me, you're engaging Jesus Christ. Why? Because I put him on this morning. And it's his reflection. It's his desire that you're watching in me. It's not me. It's him. So he tells us that our actions, our actions are part of putting on Christ. And then in Galatians he goes on and he said, For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through the faith, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. How many of you were baptized into Christ? How many have put on Christ? Then we need to acknowledge that we put on Christ. And so when we put on Christ, he says, if we put on Christ, then there's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there's no male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Woo! How about that for a confession every morning? 
I'm Abraham's offspring. Because of what Jesus has done, I am now heir to the promises because I have put on Christ Jesus. Now, I want you to understand this. What does it mean to put on Christ? Because it's a key to living. It is a key to living an overcoming life. In Rome, to be clothed with a, I mean, in Greece, to be clothed with a person was signifying to assume the interest of another. Okay. To enter into his views, to imitate him, and be holy on his side. Wow, that's pretty good, isn't it? Put that on. Now watch. Here you go. I'm going to put on my hat. And I'm going to put on my shirt. Same hat they wore after they won the national championship. Same shirt they put on after the national championship. That makes me a member of the team, right? Yeah. No. Just makes me an avid spectator. You see, too often, that's what we are with Christ. We like to wear the hat, put on the T-shirt. We even put the little bumper sticker on there. We hang a cross around our neck. But are we really on the team? I can celebrate with these boys that won this national championship. I get excited, and I do. And I had great fun. They didn't give me a national championship ring. You know why? I wasn't a player. I wasn't a coach. I was just a fan. In order to have gotten the ring, first thing that's got to happen is Dabo Sweeney, the coach of Clemson, him or one of his coaching staff would have had to recognize me and chose me to be on his team. Isn't that right? And then once he chose me to be on his team, then he'd want to be sure that I fit into his plan. The next thing he'd do is he would put me with a strength and a condition expert and he would start strengthening me and make me an expert. He would ex an expert would help me put on the right weight, the muscles, make me run faster, jump higher, hit harder, and do the things that needed to be done. The next thing he'd do is he'd put me on the field to play. And he would, then he would begin to evaluate how well I played, and that would determine how much playing time I got. And if I went along with what he did, and if I executed the things he did, then I, would, I could finish the thing. I would have won the championship with him. I would have been a player. And my effort and my work would have gone into winning that hat and that shirt. But I didn't do any of that. I stayed. I looked at the TV, and Sue stayed nervous. But now let me take you a step further. Jesus did choose me. I'm chosen. How about you? Jesus recognized me from the foundation of the earth. He put his hand on me. You know, they're giving fifth and sixth graders now scholarships to college, or they're, they're asking, they're giving them letters of intent. I want you to know I got that beat. 
My God recognized me before I was born. How about you? And he looked down and he said, I want that man on my team. I hadn't done anything. I hadn't even been born. And God said, I want you on my team. And so I know I'm chosen. Now it's just a matter of will I submit to his plan. See, I can be chosen all day long, but if I decide that I'm going to be a rebel and I'm not going to submit myself to Dabo Sweeney's plan, I can't play on his football team. If I'm not going to submit myself to the plan of God, then he can't use me the way he wants to use me because I've not yet put on Christ Jesus. I've not put on the suit that he has declared for me. I have too much problem wanting to be Eddie and not Jesus. I have too much problem wanting to be an individual that's recognized for what I can do rather than having Jesus recognized for what he did on my behalf. Am I making sense to you? I'm in it for Eddie, not for the team. The team is for Jesus. And so when we get involved with that, it's all in or nothing. I'm going to be on his team. And the minute I decide that I'll submit to his plan, he will immediately put me in the game. Now, I may not be a superstar. There was a man named Elijah. How many of you know why Elijah was selected to be Elijah? It's real simple. Because God said, you the man. Well, he was the best. No, he wasn't. There's 7,000 just like him. When, when he got to complaining, he laughed at him. God laughed and said, I got 7,000 just as good as you. I'm next up, next up, next up. He said, you are not the greatest and the best. I chose you because I chose you. And so he may, there may be an Elijah out there as opposed to me. That doesn't make any difference. I still serve the purpose and the plan of God, and I will receive the full reward because I'm doing what God told me to do. Amen? Come on, and you will too. You will too. You see, God gave me his hat. He gave me his shirt. He gave me his robe. He put a ring on my finger. Before I ever did anything, he declared that I was a champion. He declared that I was a winner. He put shoes on my feet. He declared that I am his. You see, when I put on Christ, I don't put on this, I'm holier than thou. I put on Christ. I walk in the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. I present myself as a winner. I present myself as an overcomer. I present myself as one who no longer has to worry about what's going to happen. I know I win. Why? Because the Jesus that I serve is the greatest of all time. I can put that label on a lot of people, but the only one that deserves it is Jesus. He's the only one that deserves it. Look at this. We were brought into communion with Jesus through baptism. That's what happened. When you took on the identity of Christ, you were brought into communion with Him. We are brought into participations of the blessings of grace. Woo-hoo! I got it. I got it. I'm highly favored. Why? Because my God said I was. They, they talk about all these recruits that go to Clemson. They talk about what a great place it is, what great facilities they have, how everything that they can imagine. Can I tell you what? That is, a, that is nothing but a mess compared to the place that my God has for me. And I don't have to die to get there. All I have to do is sit down, sit still, and I can immediately be in His presence. Ooh, come on. 
I get the participations of grace. I have favor. I have power. I have authority. I operate in divine glory. I walk in His anointing. How about you? Come on, when I put on Christ, I recognize that in the morning, I'm walking in His anointing. I'm not waiting to be anointed. I am anointed. I'm not waiting for God to do something. He's already done something. I'm not waiting for what's going to happen. I am now going to initiate according to the Holy Spirit directive, and I am going to look like Jesus every place I go and everything I do. And when I fail, I'm going to repent. I'll repent to the people, but first off, I'm going to repent to Jesus because I have soiled his name. Well, he can sense to you. Want to be an overcomer? And you need to start putting on Christ. Wake up in the morning, we got to put on Jesus. Wear the hat of the champion. Wear the glory of the Most High God. Wear what God has declared over you. Turn to your neighbor and say, you special. Turn to the other one and say, you are super special. Turn to one behind you and say, you're anointed. Turn to somebody else and say, you have grace beyond measure. You've been listening to Sunday Sermons from Southside Christian Fellowship Church, a place where you are loved, accepted, and received, a place of healing, a place of prayer, a place of hope. We invite you to join us this Sunday and every Sunday. For service times, location, and other information about the church, please visit our website at southsidechristianfellowship.net. Again, that's southsidechristianfellowship.net. As we wrap up today's message, we would like to once again thank you for listening. We would like to also have Papa Herman, an elder at Southside, to speak a Father's blessing over you. May the Lord bless and keep you, that He would cause His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you, that the Lord would lift up the light of His countenance upon you and give you His peace. And remember that the Lord's favor is with you all the time. Expect it. It is with you. It's manifesting itself to you. It will overtake you no matter where you are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.